hello everyone and welcome back to another Legal Diaries podcast. Um, I'm super excited to be joined today by Dave O'Brien. Um, I'm, this is basically a podcast for me, for anyone listening, because I want to build my own home one day um, and I'm slightly in love with David's house. So um, super excited to chat to him all about it. So I might just hand over to him to introduce himself. Um, thanks, Danielle. Um, I suppose, as Danielle said, my name is David O'Brien. Um, I am a project manager and interior designer with RJ O'Brien Building Contractors in Cork. Um, check us out on Instagram. Uh, I work on both commercial and residential projects uh, from one-off design consultations. So, for example, uh, someone might be struggling with an idea for a room and might book me for a one-off two-hour consultation just to discuss colours, furniture, redesign ideas etc to the opposite end of our services which would include like complete project management um that's when after several meetings with the client uh, and the design is actually signed off they might let it they let me take over the project um organizing trades and furniture etc that sounds like the dream because <laughs> i i love interiors and anytime okay. like i'm kind of out and about i'm like oh that'd be so nice and my boyfriend's like we have nowhere to put it and i'm like yeah but like and my mom keeps being like you need to start what she calls a bottom drawer um where she's saying like when you're gonna when you move into your like forever home or your your own kind of home that you have a few kind of pieces built up um, and I'd say my mom's going to start regretting that soon because I'm currently living in my parents' house. So they're going to have probably have a room or two full of stuff. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to put. Um, so yeah, so as, as I said in the introduction, so you obviously work in um, interior design and consulting, um, but you've built your own house, um, which is really exciting. Um, can you maybe talk us, through the house itself so like the style of it because it's quite unique and then how many beds bathrooms and stuff um so yeah i was really fortunate um to be able to build my own house it was kind of a dream since i was um i suppose very young um i've always kind of had this uh, fascination with kind of architecture and design um so the house itself uh, i suppose i'll describe the house first it's 2200 square feet um so it's not a massive house but it is it's a decent sized house um, it has four bedrooms, um, one which at the moment is working as a home office and a gym. And then like everybody else is kind of stuck at home. <laughs> um, uh, there are three bathrooms, um, a utility room, and then I have a large open plan area, which works as the kitchen, dining and living room. Um, I suppose the house itself, the design of it is very much a contemporary take on agricultural Irish buildings. And um, so the outside of it is clad in steel um, in the same sort of corrugated steel that you would have seen in kind of traditional uh, Irish country cottages. Um, and it's a, I suppose it's just a modern take on that, you know, um, and when I originally went down to meet my architect, um, I kind of wanted uh, something quite unique, something that was, um, would be quite striking, but also fit into the countryside, uh, like it was meant, meant to be there, like it's been there for a long time. That's so interesting. And like, did you always have the concept? Because I find the the exterior of your house like really striking. Um, so did you always have that kind of the concept of a kind of contemporary agricultural building? Or did that just come to light when you started to kind of talk to your architect then? Um, I think it's kind of it's been there for a long time. I always wanted a kind of a large open plan area um, because I think open plan 
living works best, um, even though they're saying that open plan living is, isn't going out now. So people are bringing back more rooms, which I find really interesting. Um, but yeah, with the actual design of the outside of the building, I think I always knew I wanted a black house. Um, I, all, I think black architecture is extremely striking, um, but it also sits into the landscape. It kind of, you know, it, it almost looks like a shadow. Mm. Um, so the corrugated steel definitely was something that the, um, like, I think when you meet an architect, they'll ask you to come up with a mood board, like an interior designer, um, and ask, can it, we'll say, show you examples of some of the stuff that you like. Um, so I brought a lot of black houses down to that initial meeting. Yeah. And a lot of cladding. Um, and yeah, I think the, uh, the architect was very kind of excited because I think a lot of people go in there and just say, design me a house. Um, where I was kind of giving him free reign with yeah. uh, with a very specific idea. Yeah, and it's it was a very kind of like bespoke project. Like it's not like until I had kind of seen kind of your house through the Instagram um, profile that you have for it and come across it um, and the articles, like it never would have dawned on me to do something like that. But it like it is really striking. Um, and I love the way it's the it's the matte black as well. Like it really does. Yeah. It's striking, but it also kind of blends in as well. If that makes sense. And I think when I was discussing the idea with people, um, like even the architect wasn't uh, really gone with the black. He had he was trying to push for like a really kind of dark grey the entire time. Mm. Um, but I just stuck to my guns, and I would say that for most people who were building or renovating, sometimes you just kind of need to stick to your guns. Um, and I'm delighted with how it turned out. Yeah, perfect. And like, where did the the fascination with the map block come from? Like, is it just because you had seen buildings in that style before and thought they were really striking? Or have you always just had a love of the, the, the colour black itself? Uh, yeah, well, black is definitely my favourite colour. <laughs> um, I would wear black quite a lot. Um, a lot of, you know, my cars were black and stuff like that. Um, I was actually on a trip to Iceland a few years ago um, and they use a lot of that steel cladding that I have on the outside of my building on their roofs. Um, because it's something that uh, holds up very well against uh, severe weather conditions. Um, so when I was in Iceland, I found it really interesting that a lot of the houses were complete colours. So it could be entirely, how, uh, I suppose, a red cladded house oh, wow. or a, a green cladded house. There wasn't many, I didn't see any black ones while I was there, but I just thought how nice that the entirety of the house was the same colour and in kind of one block colour. So I think yeah. that's where a lot of the inspiration came from. Yeah, that's interesting because... And even when you were saying that they tried, your architect tried to kind of convince you on grey, for some reason, when I think of grey, I think it would be very shed looking like. Yes. That, yeah, yeah, whereas I think the matte black kind of brings it back into that kind of cool, contemporary kind of home look. Um, so obviously, as I was saying, I came across um, your build and everything through the wonderful world of Instagram. So like yeah. what made you um, decide to just, create the Instagram account? Um, I suppose like I set up New Build Ireland because when I was thinking about the main reasons um, it would it would I suppose it's mainly for it was mainly for a photo diary um, oh. self builds um, or renovations can be like completely all-consuming yeah. and things are always going wrong so like sometimes it can just feel like you're actually making absolutely no progress so I thought it was nice to look back at these photos uh, throughout the build to actually see how far you've come so yeah. I think that was the main reason why I set it up. And also I thought, you know, what a nice kind of photo um, diary of, of the project afterwards that I could look back on. I never really kind of expected it to kind of blow up. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and it kind of, it did kind of surprise me. Um, another reason, I suppose, is I didn't realize it until I started, uh, I suppose, posting images about the house and stuff like that, is there's a really nice house community on Instagram. Um, and like, you know, what you, what is, there's loads of people sharing their journeys and their struggles and yeah. their ideas. And it can be a really great place to get support and like inspiration. Like there's ideas out there, you know what I mean? Without. Yeah. Um, like the amount of things that I have like bookmarks that are just like yeah. interior ideas. And I'm like, oh, I really like that. Or I really like that. Um, but, and that's the thing. Cause like, it's, I think there's a lot of information out there for someone who wants to just go through the route of, of buying a house that's on the market and but mm -hmm. there, I don't think there's as much because I've always like I've always I grew up in Dublin but then my parents moved um to the country um so we've been we've been in Kilkenny god years now um it always makes me feel really old when I think about how long we've been here because <laughs> I was like mid-teen years when we moved so we've been here god a good 13 years um and I I just found that I had I don't want to say like a better quality of life as a teenager, but just I probably had a lot more freedom in the countryside, um, in the small village that I had than I probably would have had in a big city like Dublin. Yeah. And ever since then, I've had this fascination with I'd love to kind of build my own house, so to have something that rather than take over something that someone else already bought, to kind of make it my own um, from the ground up. So I don't think there's that kind of like it's not ever really spoken about and it's so funny because we pass by like a lot of new bills that are going up on the way into like Kilkenny City and stuff because mm -hmm. we're, we're in one of the villages on the outskirts and like I'm always like to my I'm like I'm like to my boyfriend or even my mom and like do you think we can just like walk up to them and like just ask <laughs> them like how they built their home because I'm like how do we find out these things like how do I find out who a good architect is in the area how do, like I suppose you're blessed in the sense that you did have the construction kind of side family yeah. business as well so that that was a huge help but yeah like the, I don't think it's spoken about enough so when I started to come across this community on Instagram I was like oh my god this is amazing like I can just like speak to these people and hopefully they can point me in the right direction but yeah you get kind of like 100 percent access to somebody that's gone through the process so like you know I, I, it's, it's really interesting that you said that about approaching people people's houses i get little notes in my letterbox regularly saying can you contact me and give me information about your house or um which <laughs> you know i was very it, i find it very strange sometimes when because people obviously it's a black house so people are going yeah. to slow down when they drive past it um, but I still find it weird when someone slows down at your gate, you know, you're kind of going, what are they looking at? <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, I think most people are really approachable um, when it comes to stuff like that, because they know the, the stress that, it, that goes into all of this yeah. and they know the, the thought process. So like, I remember when I was researching my house and I was, one fear for me that it would be very noisy. That one, especially in Ireland with all the rain and all the wind. Yeah you'd almost be deafened inside because I don't know if you've been in a shed when it rains um yeah it's very like it's yeah and it, it kind of echoes quite a lot like it, it yeah it, it intensifies the sound 
Absolutely. And I didn't want to be living in that. I like, I, it's, ni- it's nice to listen to it for a few minutes, but I didn't want to be kind of... But it Trying overtake. to fall asleep on like a, yeah. a, a work day and just not being able to fall asleep <laughs> because you, you, you pellets of rain come down at you. Exactly. Or the TV up to 100 and you're still like not able to hear it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I drove past a house that was nearby and they had um, um, a different type of roof. It was a steel, steel roof, but it wasn't the same as mine. But um, I just knocked on the door and I remember the lady coming out, coming out and she was just so kind and gave me loads of information about the house and loads of information about her roof. And I kind of thought to myself, oh, that's great. She reassured me that she was like with all the insulation and like my architect and my brother, who was the builder of the house, both assured me that there would be no issue with noise. But, you know, unless somebody has it and is living through yeah, it. Yeah, kind of... and yeah, it's kind of living proof that, yeah, will I live in this home? And, and yeah, I, like I'm still sane. So. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, yeah, no, because we actually, um, there's a, like a house, um, our neighbours kind of down the road, their son, um, they own the land across from us, so he started building at the moment. And like I, my parents would know them um, more than I would. And I'd say hello and stuff when I see him in the site. Our poor puppy, who's like seven months old, God bless the builders, is always <laughs> barking at them. Um, but so I'd say, but I've been so like, I've been like to my mom, like, do you think John will mind if I just like, you know, go across the road and just like ask him loads of questions? And my mom's like, no, I'm sure he'd like it mind at all oh and he wouldn't like you know yeah. well i can't talk for him seemed, but... and he seems to be in quite a lot of it himself as well so uh, yeah. he could easily be a builder himself so he'd be like the ideal person um and he's in like my county as well because that's yes. the, the thing as well because obviously it's great for me to chat with you but i can't mm. then export your you your brother um and your architect <laughs> from cork to Kilkenny to just do my dream <laughs> project for me um so how long did the so from the point of kind of conception of like okay i'm gonna use this piece of land i have because you were gifted the land weren't you yeah so um i was very fortunate um my parents had um, a site for me so uh, i think predominantly um motivated me to build you know um, mm. I knew I could I could get a lot more from my money building than I could uh, buying um so yeah I was very I was very lucky so I suppose um from the idea stage where I met the architects and everything it took about two and a half years um and like I suppose once the design is signed off so once you agree on the everything with the architect and the engineer that's involved and um, the planning permission is put in um, and in Cork, I would imagine in most counties, it's kind of similar enough. It's about three to six months um, before yeah. you kind of hear back from your planners. Um, and with my own build, um, the only thing, that, well, they came back after the, the three months, they came back and they were, they had this information of, uh, they wanted, they requested further information. It's a really vague term um, and it can be kind of anything. Um, but it's usually a positive sign that there's only something quite small. Uh, yeah. But I wasn't granted planning permission the first time around, it was the second time. Um, and it was down to just sight lines, that's all. So when I was leaving my entrance, that cars could see me and that I could see cars, if you know what I mean. So it was something yeah. quite simple. So I was very fortunate with planning, to be honest. Um, and I know lots of people have huge issues. And I think that's one of the major reasons why people don't kind of go down the route of building their own houses, because you hear all these horror stories of, you know, trying to get planning permission and stuff like that. And I actually have a neighbor that. Um, he's well. I say neighbor, but in the countryside, he's a country neighbor. Yeah, is <laughs> yeah exactly. He's like down he's, the road a bit. Yeah, yeah, down the road a bit. But he applied uh, seven times before he was granted planning permission. Mm. So, 
and it, it, there's cost involved every single time if you're, if you're yeah. changing and adjusting your plans and stuff like that you're going back to your architect you're going back to your engineer um and it's really not their fault at that stage it's you know there's nothing you can really do about it um and then i think once planning is approved uh you've like like anything you have to pay rates in every council um and the rates in county vary so i know dublin county is extremely expensive um, yeah for rates and it's all to do with the county councils or the city councils that you're applying to so it's nothing to do there's no set amount and that it's in relation to the size of your house mm. so if, you, if you're building a 3,000 square foot house it's going to cost more than what my house cost in Fort County um, yeah. and I suppose the frustrating thing about that is especially if you live in the countryside is you're paying for services so you're paying the, the rates bill is for water services and sewage services but we're not connected to the mains here um, in where I live. So you still have to pay it, even though you don't um, get any benefits out of it. It's just a compulsory fee. That's um, mad. My isn't parents, it? Yeah, because yeah, my parents are similar. Like we're on a private well. Yeah. Um, so, and it's just, it's been that way. Like we moved in, it's, a, it's like a community kind of thing. We moved in, but yeah, you are liable for that yeah. kind of state service. And you're like, well, I'm not using it. So it's frustrating really because yeah. it's thousands of euro it's not like it's not like 50 quid or 200 euros yeah. and they're like thousands of euro and i know someone recently uh, a client of mine that's in dublin i think they paid about twenty thousand euro for their rates which was an insane amount Jesus. of money you know um so it, it, it's kind of one of those things where you're just uh, you have to suck it up <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like, just, just ignore it just part of the process yeah. but i think i think because i have this big fear because obviously you were in kind of like I don't want to say a privileged position but like oh absolutely I was you, yeah you didn't have to like so if you came back and you got refused planning permission multiples of times and then on the eighth go you got it it was kind of like the land was gifted so you didn't like, whereas I have this fear that if you got a piece of land and yeah. they just would not approve planning permission I'm just stuck with this random piece of land that I like no. yeah there are ways around that in the sense of you can buy a piece of land uh, with, with the subject intention that to, yeah. subject to planning permission. Yeah. You know? So like the, you're getting caught for the expense of the planning permission and the architect's fees and all that kind of stuff. Now they're your plans and you can use them on any piece of land. Um, and you have to be clever as well. Like per certain areas are, are very easy to get planning permission yeah. and, and certain areas are green belts and stuff like that where you're just it's really like unlikely that you will get the planning permission so you have to be very clever about that um and usually a good architect or an engineer um, will tell you straight out there's absolutely they'll they'll have dealt with the local plan and that's one thing i would say is go with kind of a local architect or engineer they yeah. will have dealt with the county council or the city council in your area and they'll know straight away who the who the planner is in that area and whether they're open to building in that spot yeah because and like you can kind of notice because like every so often i come into like daydream land and i look up <laughs> pieces of land in my area like i'm we're nowhere like near close at all and um, but i'm like him i was like yeah but it'd be really great to go into an architect and just get like a drawing done up just so i have something to look forward to um but yeah no, I, I wouldn't go, do that <laughs> yeah i know but i go into like daydream land um and you'd see pieces of land that just haven't moved in yeah. like a, and they're the pieces that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to avoid them because there's a reason they're obviously not. And I think it's interesting. Some people will then sell a site, I will say, with planning permission. So if, if it's a local farm that's selling a site, he might apply for planning permission. But then it's a house that's designed that's not really for you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 
Um, I, a, a good way around that is usually if there's any kind of ruins on, on the land that you can, or a cottage or something that you can, there's, there's already a building there, so you know there's going to be more than likely get planning permission on it. Yeah, and that's what I actually, I thought of recently, um, now that you say, because that's kind of, my parents took over like our house mid kind of project, mm-hmm. yeah. um, like our house now. Um, and it's kind of nice to have, because you have the bones of a house and you can continue to build onto it if you want yeah. it, if you had good bones of a house. So like you could possibly move in um, sooner, once you were okay with obviously having a, an, a mountain of construction and stuff around you. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've, I've looked at that as well. It's interesting that you say that. So when you, so it took two and a half years for you to kind of move in, say, but when yeah. did you, how long was the process before you could like break soil or start the actual building? Um, so I suppose in total, it was about six months before um, the foundation, the, we'll say the groundworks is the very first thing that you do when you're building a yeah. house. So it's just levelling the site, hopefully. Some sites are obviously far more difficult, but uh, most sites, are, it's just levelling the ground. Um, that took about six months from when once planning was submitted. So I suppose in total, it was about nine months because the design process takes about three months Um then the application process takes about three months. So the first round of your planning permission is about three months. And you can get it after six months if you're lucky. Um, but, you know, they came back for me with um, further information required. So, and it was only something small, but again, that's something small. And I had that information back to them in a couple of weeks, maybe two weeks. It took another three months before it was approved. Oh, so it's a very okay. slow moving process. And I think that that is a deterrent to people as well when it comes to self-builds that, you know, you can go out tomorrow morning and you have 350,000 euro, you can just buy a house. Mm. And if you have 350,000 euro to build a house, you might build a nicer house than the one you buy, but it's just, there's a, there's a lot involved in it. So I think that's where maybe yeah, you, people don't really talk about it as much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then is there, so we've kind of spoke about kind of the planning building and designing process was there mm-hmm. one um thing that you were in no way prepared for when it came to that whole process that you were like like say you had mentioned rates like were you prepared to realize that you could be spending up to twenty thousand on rates i think i knew rates were, I, I, those like i suppose become because i'm coming yeah. from a building background i kind of knew a lot of that stuff was going to be there and um, the one thing that really caught me was delays. I really didn't yeah. expect as many delays. Um, and I think if you're building anything that's out of the ordinary, um, in any way, unconventional. So mine was the steel cladding. Um, that, that just caused huge delays. Um, yeah. So I remember we were at that stage where the roof should be going on. So we, we got to that stage quite quickly. And yeah. cladding was just delayed so by six months. So the entire build we went and stopped for six months because of the cladding. Um, oh. And it's incredibly frustrating because you're paying a mortgage from the minute you draw, get your first draw. Yeah, broaden. the minute you draw So down. you're paying a mortgage for something that's kind of in limbo. And I suppose no matter how much, like I had, I suppose the big problem for me in that situation was that we had someone lined up. It's a very specialist job that uh, applying the corrugated steel. Um, and we had someone lined up and they just left us down. Um, and then we had another person lined up and they delayed the build by about two and a half months. And then the supplier actually didn't have the, 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 the products that we had ordered. So, you know, it's kind of unforeseen and you can't be preemptive on those sort of things. 
Yeah, because you had just, you didn't think it was going to be like such an issue to source it and to get someone who was specialised to do it. So would you say that was probably one of the most kind of challenging things that you had during your build? Yes, and I think um, financing is the is the obviously number one oh, topic. No. You know? um, like I was solo building, um, I was self-building, um, I was self-employed at the time, literally a bank's nightmare is what I would describe myself as when you were going oh, in. literally, because like, I'm, I'm a qualified <laughs> barrister and I have tactically made the decision not to go down to the bar. Like, I'm in a full-time permanent job where I yeah. am now, but I've made the decision not to go down because I'm like, I'm going to have to produce X amount because I'm self-employed if I go down. Yeah. Um, so I've been like, no, I've been like, I'll put it off until I can kind of build it because I'm building my own business at the moment as well as working yes. full time. So... I was like, I'll take job security and permanency now and then <laughs> as soon oh, as yeah. I can over one life thing. Cause that and that's such a big thing, like to think that it like there's a lot of things that weighs in on Oh, a hundred percent. Like if you're going for a mortgage, uh, it, it's stressful no matter what. But yeah. if you're going in with a from a, a permanent full time job where you're an employee, they're asking you for pay slips, they're asking you for different little bits of information that are that are easily accessible when you're going in as self-employed you're they're asking you for years of accounts, accounts so yeah yeah and it's it's minimum three years so if you have a we say um a new business that's open three years and it might be doing really well in year three but in year one it didn't do very well that's all it's all brought into a kind of a, like a leveling it's paying ground for all three years if you know what i mean it's not like you're the most recent year is the only one that they take into consideration um and like just all i could describe it it was an absolute nightmare um from the very get-go of the meetings um it, i found it difficult for people to take you seriously because um you it was going to be kind of more of a complex uh, application for the mortgage advisors so they really didn't really want to deal with you you know they could go in and get i suppose at the moment a lot of people are applying for mortgages so they had plenty of clients and customers so i was a difficult um sell yeah <laughs> um, but I got there in the end, which was, <laughs> was good. And did, did you go through, because it's interesting that you say that, because um, the the podcast that I talk about, so I'm doing two podcasts um, uh, with a mortgage broker. Um, oh. and But she's going to be on, her first one of that will be on just before we do your podcast uh, is released. Um, but did you go through a broker for all of your stuff or did you just kind of say, look, I'm going to attempt it myself? <laughs> I attempted it myself, unfortunately. Um, I went to one broker and they had said that they didn't think that I would get the mortgage. Um, so it kind of soured me towards brokers. As yeah. well. I was like, well, I'll show you. <laughs> and yeah, so you're went, like, look at me, prove you wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I went to a different, I went to uh, one of, uh, like there's four major banks, I suppose in Ireland, maybe five, but I went to one of them anyway and they just said no. Um, another one really messed me about had said they put the application in and two months later I rang them say where's my application you know or where is the update and they hadn't actually put the application in at all and then finally I got to this other bank um, and in fairness the guy I was dealing with uh, got everything put through and everything like that which was great but there's a lot of loopholes um, that the banks can have to even request further information again so like I remember the first time I got my first drawdown you've six months to make your second drawdown. And I was, it was eight months before I needed my second drawdown. So I, I missed the deadline by two months. And then I had to reapply for the entire mortgage again. 
so I had to give them, yeah, I had to give them updated accounts. I had to give them updated bank statements. I had to give them updated, and it was literally, I'm not joking. That that was definitely the most stressful thing in the entire process. Um, yeah. And do and, you think it was because you were self-employed? Oh, a hundred percent. And I also think there is a lack of some, I can't talk about a lot of people, but in that particular branch, they just didn't seem interested. And I ended up having, like they, they were going through mortgage brokers in that branch. Like there was no tomorrow. I had three different, I ended up dealing with three different mortgage brokers, um, which is crazy because you, yeah. kind of, you build a trust with the first one and you're expecting them to kind of follow you through. And there was lots of issues where they'd say, I didn't get that paperwork, or you didn't send me this. And so of course with email now, you have all your paper trails and you'd kind of go, I sent you that two months ago. You just didn't yeah. submit it, you know, and stuff like that. And um, I suppose for me, like I, I can only speak from my own experience, that was definitely by far the worst and most, most stressful part of the whole thing. That's so interesting because um, one of my colleagues, he's now moved in, but before, geez, it would have been like very pre-COVID, so around Christmas time last year, so about a year ago, they he was kind of like yeah I just need to sign the paperwork like everything's done because they had a broker and they just did, he was like I couldn't even tell you what's going on most yeah. of the time he's <laughs> like it's really straightforward we're getting a really good rate and um and stuff like that so I was like oh cool and then one of my friends she they got approval from two banks through their broker just before Christmas because we were talking about it seemed like a week before that her saying oh we're gonna start like applying um, and hopefully start looking in like January February if we get approved for um, yes. anything um, and then I just messed her like a week later and she's like oh yeah we got approved by two and she's like but one rate is more favorable kind of a thing and one will want more of a deposit put down and I was like oh my god that seems so speedy so I'm kind of I feel and I had spoken to people who were in at the bar so in in the kind of like the the profession um and that was the one big thing they were like look this is the thing you're gonna have to consider because I'm not like so some people go down at the age of like 24 or 25 yeah. um whereas I'm 29 so they were like they had like a real talk with me and they were like this is the thing like you need to consider like if this is in your plans within the next three four years they were like don't do it they were yeah. like just oh, don't yeah. come down <laughs> and actually yeah, there was a few times where I was like I cannot believe because you know the, the business that I was running was very successful and the, the accounts that we had were very promising and so on um and it just made no sense I, I i just couldn't understand how it was so complicated now i think there is the risk that they're worried that like you you won't finish the build so that their investment isn't going to be worth anything you know yeah. i think they've obviously been burned in the past before um by self bills and there is a fair like i suppose you have a tangible asset if you buy a house that's built uh, yeah. like you know whereas if you're there saying i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that I, I, you know, you might only be at foundations level or something like that. You would have spent yeah. a hundred thousand euro all of a sudden. And um, so I'd I say, yeah, I'd say kind of Celtic Tiger boom time <laughs> yeah. followed by bus has really scarred a lot of banks who basically yeah. were giving all the construction, all the mortgages, and then obviously they were leaving midway through ghost builds and yeah. um, and stuff like that. So it it is when you have that tangible asset of a house that's already yeah. there. That they know they can come after and take if if you if you don't uh, <laughs> um, meet your payments and stuff like that. Like that's a lot easier for them. Um, still though, like it's 
Yeah, maybe this is why no one talks about it because <laughs> yeah. you're on the no. beautiful the other side where you just you come home and you enjoy things that you have built, designed, picked, and done yourself. I describe it as house burns. So you literally will forget all the pain and ache that happens once you're there. So like, you know, it's like kind of, and you, I, I often think, God, I would do another set build, you know? Um, but I, like, I have to kind of, you check yourself and you go, God, I remember being back in that time. And it, it is extremely stressful. And I would say the one thing is like, if you have enough of a budget, it's a lot less stressful. I was kind of working, again, I was building on my own and uh, to a, a small budget and and trying to achieve a lot and um, all of those, those things will add a huge amount of pressure. Yeah um, yeah that's so interesting and then obviously you you were going for something just very bespoke and um, so yes. was there anything that you did compromise on during the building process so anything um, you, you really wanted but you just ended up saying no to? Absolutely loads of things. Oh. <laughs> um, so I think the main, one of the biggest, uh, I suppose, um, things that I compromise on is a garage. Uh, like I have full planning permission for a large double garage. Um, and about, I would say, two months into the build, um, I, I suppose we were doing direct labor as well. So um, it's slightly different to um, if you're getting a contractor in. So the contractor will say, give you a set price and direct labor is usually a lot cheaper um, so about two months in we realized that the cost of building materials had just gone up so much between the time I had kind of started the process within about a year I think building materials had gone up about 15 to 20 percent um, and so that means your build is basically going up 15 to 20 yeah. percent so the garage had to go um, now I still have planning permission and the plan is still to build that in the next maybe 10 years or something like that um, but other areas then like I suppose landscaping you know, you're living on a building site, even if you have the most beautiful house, you're living on the building site um, without, if you don't have any money to put into landscaping. So I had no money for that. And uh, I, with other things, like I put in a budget kitchen, um, which wouldn't, it, I, I'm really pleased with my kitchen, but it wouldn't have been the kitchen that if I had another. Yeah, the, if you had like that endless kind of budget where you could put yeah. in the kind of pieces you wanted. Absolutely, like marble, you know, marble is really popular um, yeah. at the moment. And But marble is, for a, for a kitchen the same size as mine, to put in marble countertops and marble backsplash is about €20,000, you know, as in, yeah. and that's to the countertops, excluding your kitchen. So, you know, you have to compromise, I think, no matter what, and in lots of areas, unless you have an endless budget. Yeah, that's how, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, I have all these gorgeous things that I've been bookmarking but then if I was to actually go in and like no one puts no one tags the cost of everything when they put up the photos so you have this idea um but yeah, then no you go in and you're like okay that kitchen actually costs about 50,000 <laughs> do not have the budget for yeah. that um yeah. and what is your favorite place in your home then um I it has to be I suppose my open plan area um it's a large open plan area that is very much connected to the outdoors, which was my main criteria. So there's a lot of windows and a lot yeah, of Yeah, you have those like gorgeous big windows. Yeah, um, they were one of the things that I wouldn't compromise on, I suppose. Um, you know, they, those large sliders are, they are a, a big expense. Um, and there are a lot of different types of alternatives in comparison to those. 
But I really wanted that connection between the indoors and outdoors. So when they're open, it, it does feel like you're kind of outside, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, but that's it. Like in the summertime when you have the warmer weather, you can yeah. just have them open and have that niceness, even if you were like working from home, that you still feel like you're outside and stuff. Absolutely. And even in wintertime, it's nice just to open up and just this huge fresh air comes through the whole house. You know what I mean? And Yeah. Um, it's great for parties as well when we can have them. Yeah, <laughs> when you can actually have parties. There's yeah. no parties happening at the moment. No. Um, and yeah, so yeah, because I really like that idea of like an open plan. So my parents' house, one thing that really bothers me about it is there's this archway um, that goes from the sitting room into like, it's like a the kitchen but it's like a seating area in the kitchen if that makes sense like yeah the, yeah and then it's an open plan kind of kitchen and that archway just kind of blocks off and I would like <laughs> just love to get rid of it because then it would be this huge gorgeous like open plan space and, and yeah. stuff like that um but yeah it's so funny like because if you think if I was to buy a house and it had that as well like that would bother me as well so like, <laughs> yeah. I'll have no archway blocking because if that archway <laughs> wasn't there like even if it was paired back a little bit you could yeah. see directly into the kitchen and it's kind of that openness um which which is quite nice um and so you were saying so you love you weren't going to compromise on the windows um what was it for you or what is it for you that kind of makes a house or something you've built a home? Um, I suppose it's um, a feeling, you know, uh, it's, it's it's very strange. To I, I, th I don't think you have to, like anywhere can be your home. Um, hmm. it's, but when you walk in the door that you just feel instantly relaxed that the whole, yeah. I suppose the rat race of the world is just switched off. Um, and I think it takes time. Like I definitely was living in this house for um, six months before I felt like home. Um, yeah. And it was fully decorated. It was like it was fully furnished. Um, it wasn't like there was, you know, it was completely sparse, but it just, you're kind of adjusting to it. And I think it took me a while to, I suppose, relax in that space. Um, but yeah. yeah. I'd say it felt very kind of surreal for the first six months to be like, okay, I'm actually in it now after all the two and a half years. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. And I think anyone that has done a self-build or a big renovation project, you just don't, you, you never even actually get that kind of pinch me moment until way later, even than that. I think when, for the first solid year, I've been in the house now about a year and a half, first solid year, all I had was a list of jobs that I had to complete. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it was very much like I, that, that idea that I didn't have a, a budget for um, the gardens or for patios and stuff like that. I found it really frustrating. So I just decided to do them myself. So everything is DIY in that sense. So all the driveways are DIY, all the patios DIY. Um, and it just- Yeah, COVID and like lockdown, three lockdowns it's not, came- It's not a, like I got a quote for my patio. Oh. <laughs> You got it, yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I got mixed. I got. I think I got cut off for a second. Oh no, you're grand. Um, I was saying that the three lockdowns came at the perfect time for you. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> as in, yeah, the <laughs> lockdowns came at literally the perfect time. Um, and so it was great. Um, it was you know you were able to work outside and it was good for your mind. But also, I think there's one thing that uh, it's a bit of advice that I give to anyone is like you can kind of 
you can achieve a lot for a very small amount of money if you do it yourself. Now, like, you know, if you want to get a professional um, patio, like I got a quote for a professional patio to be installed here and it was 35,000 euro. And I was just Jeez. like, it's an insane amount of money for me after building a house to be thinking of put, put, trying to get another loan for 35,000 euro. And I think I built my entire patio area for about 2,000 euro. That's mad. It's just hard work. And it's, yeah. not, it's absolutely not perfect. You know, it's built out of, um, out of, uh, scaffolding planks and gravel and all of these different things but i think if you are in any way creative and if you have any kind of skill set in diy or anything like that or even if you don't just give it a try you'd be really surprised what you can achieve on a really small yeah like i've um recently i don't know if you um ever made it onto tiktok um (laughs) yeah yeah so i've recently been on the DIY start your own business like maybe maybe this is why like that's my for you page at the moment but there's so many people that are like are moving into homes and they've spent I don't know x amount of money on this house um and they want to do so much and they get quotes for things that people are just learning how to tile themselves people are learning how to do and I'm like I want to be that person like I want to be able to just if I end up in a situation where I don't get to do any landscaping or don't get to the win, that I just, you know, go down to the, the local builder suppliers, buy all my slabs as I would and just come <laughs> back and do it myself because yeah, like I would, and like, I'd be like, I'm, I'm fairly creative and um, mm-hmm. I can't draw, but I'm fairly <laughs> like creative in terms of like, like I can build stuff and I have a good eye for things. So like mm-hmm. I, that would excite me being able, so, so I'd say as much as it annoys you, you probably enjoy your patio space more now knowing. The oh, I love it. Yeah. I like, I mean, it really it transformed um, the way I live in lots of ways. You know, I go out there quite a lot and it, like, I suppose those large sliding windows that I have, they were looking out onto rubble up until last January. So um, it was fantastic to kind of see the transformation and the garden progress. And one thing I would say is like, you know, I think the traditional thing is to move into your house and then to start saving for, you know, five years before you do any renovations to it. Whereas, like you said yourself, you can actually just do it yourself, you know, um, get get up, go to the building builders, merchants and buy your, like, try it. You know, I, I a lot of people contacting me on Instagram and they kind of say, oh, I don't know where to start or I don't know how to do it. Start in the smaller rooms, you know, and experiment you know you can't really do much damage i'm not like i wouldn't advise you knocking down a wall if you've no experience or anything like that you know but like getting out of a paintbrush even if you've never painted before and getting a painter and roller getting advice from the people inside in the paint shops you know and just giving it a go you know you'll only get better it's like anything it's practice yeah and i can imagine like little things like that come at such an expense like mm-hmm. i don't know if you painted the house yourself or got people into you but i can imagine like to get someone to come in and paint all the rooms in a house would probably come at a good few thousand but oh with, yeah it's yeah. expensive um like i did, painted all the skirting boards myself which i'll never do again is one thing <laughs> <laughs> so because you're literally on your hands and knees for days that's all and it's so painful you're yeah you're, it's just it's a lot of stress on your body to be and i fair play to the painters that do it every day of their lives but um it's it's something that i, I would certainly never do again but yeah you, you definitely save the money that way and they're the compromises that you make to like put the money into the windows and they're the compromises that you make 
to put the money into different elements of the house if you know what I mean yeah I think I definitely like I'd compromise on like because even if I think of it like ever since being home um since the obviously everyone went DIY mad but <laughs> we have at home because I've now moved home um just so I can save and I'm not yeah. kind of spending money on rent and stuff um we had like a den I'm gonna call it in our in our house where we when we had friends and stuff over my brother and I when we were younger we kind of went into the den so we weren't kind of crowding on top of like my parents and stuff in the sitting room or in the kitchen um so it kind of just fell into like unuse so I came home and my mom was like well you can make it into a home office so I'm I feel pretty privileged to say like I live at home and I have my own bedroom but I also have a home office so amazing yeah like we created this home office my mom um, we repainted the whole kitchen we completely redid my brother's room because it hasn't been done since he was like younger so like it was he he had very much outgrown it like he's he's 21 now um so we completely redid that and we did the utility room all ourselves um and I can imagine like if we had got people in like we fitted all the cabinets in the utility room as well but just because my dad's very kind of like handy in terms of DIY and stuff um, and yeah. But like anytime I ever think of it, I'm like, okay, I could compromise on those kind of things to get those really big, gorgeous like windows <laughs> in my house. Absolutely, yeah. I know it's, it's one of the things I would say, it's the bones of the house you want to spend your money on. So it might be the floors, it's the walls, it's the, the things that you can't replace quite easily. You know, um, like at, at the end of the day, if the kitchen isn't up to scratch, you can paint it for, for the most part if you're moving into a, like a house that's, uh, you're buying a house and there's a kitchen there, an existing kitchen. But like you, if you're putting in windows and doors and stuff like that, you can't replace those, you know, um, very easily. There's like a huge cost to it. Um, so yeah, I would say like it's the bones of the house you want to get correct. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and so, like, I I love like the the style of your house and all the kind of different um pieces and stuff that you you've collected and kind of um like furniture and stuff throughout. How would you, for anyone listening, how would you describe your style? Um, I suppose interior wise, um, it's a bit of an eclectic mix. Yeah. Um, but I suppose probably the dominant style would be mid century modern. Um you know, mixed with kind of Scandi. Um, it's the bones of the house, again, are very simple. It's um, polished concrete floors throughout the ground floor um, in every room um, and white walls in every room, pretty much. Um, I do have touches of black throughout the house uh, and feature walls and stuff like that. Um, but I wanted to keep it really airy. Um, I also kind of wanted, um, I suppose, the furniture to speak for itself. So I've been collecting uh, vintage and antique furniture for years. Like, um, yeah. I think I went to my first auction when I was about seven. Uh, my uh, my eldest brother, he's 15 years older than me, and he was. Uh, my parents would have been into kind of antiques and vintage furniture as well. And I remember being seven and being brought to this, and I just kind of fell in love with the kind of history and the the craftsmanship of the pieces in the auction rooms. Yeah. And so I, for about five that- years. Yeah, and is that where you kind of, like, at that young age where you fell in love with kind of vintage pieces? Yeah, and, like, I've been collecting since that age. You know, I remember buying pieces when I was a teenager, um, which sounds very weird. And I often think, like, as in, it's not normal for a teenager to be buying pieces of vintage furniture and stuff like that. But I have a lot of those pieces in the house still on display. Um, and, like, I, I, I remember moving in here and, um, you know, a lot of people move into new houses with nothing. But 
I'd been collecting pieces for years off of Dundeal and adverts and um, car boot sales, uh, secondhand shops, charity shops, auction houses, um, all these different places and uh, pretty much had the house fully furnished before I moved in, which was fantastic. And at a, obviously at a really reasonably priced, isn't it? it was over years I was buying that stuff. But even yeah. the pieces that I kind of bought before I moved in, I would still look on Dundeal and adverts for 90% of the furniture that I would buy. So if I'm looking for a particular piece, I would go, I'm going to check out adverts or I'm going to check out Facebook Marketplace or somewhere like that. Um, because you're, it, the, the quality of the furniture that's out there, that is that secondhand is it's amazing. And you can get it for a fraction of the price of just going into a shop. Yeah, and it's like it's sustainable as well because it's yeah. it's it's kind of it's reusing and giving another life to something that someone no longer has use for. Um, and would you like have take undertaken kind of any big kind of um say upcycle projects, or would you have kind of erred on the um, side of caution in terms of the kind of pieces you bought? I I really like upcycling, and I suppose DIY is something that I am really interested in. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I made a four poster bed out of a regular bed, um, kind of a contemporary four poster bed. Um, and like, I think the whole thing cost me about 150 quid, including the bed. So, you know, and it, it's, it's, I think a lot of people, a lot of my guests that come, they want to stay in the four poster bed, yeah. you know, so it's, you know, there's a novelty to it. But um, yeah, I suppose, like, I would err on the side of caution with upcycling. Um, like, I certainly wouldn't paint a, a piece that is in good condition. Um, yeah. Because really, uh, you know, paint trends come and go. And so you might be aware that it's like, you could be kind of spoiling the piece to a certain extent. Now, if it's, if it's in bits, um, go for it. You know, you're giving it a second yeah. piece of life, as you said. Um, but I would, I would err on the side of caution when it comes to painting furniture, because a lot of those, uh, you know, the cheap mid-century sideboards that are very popular at the moment. Yeah. And a lot of people painted those over the years and kind of destroyed them. You know, they kind of, teak wasn't fashionable at the time. And I would say like furniture comes in and out of fashion. So that, that teak Scandi look at the moment will eventually leave. And you'd be really surprised. It could be dark, dark mahogany furniture that comes back or, you know, like pine was very popular 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But when you think of pine now, you it kind of, it would turn your stomach almost, wouldn't it? Oh, like the amount of pine <laughs> like resonating throughout my parents' house is just like when yeah. I moved home, there was still a pine dresser from when I was a teen. <laughs> and I was like, nope, I was like, I've, I, I earn a wage now. I was like, that is leaving my room. But that's so funny though. Yeah. Pine is actually quite scandy. And, it, you know, it, there is an element of it where, you know, you look at, you think of pine and it is about those cabins in the woods in Scandinavia and stuff like that. So, like, you could be really surprised at something. Like, it, it is just, taste just changes. It's very yeah. quick. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because we have, um, it, it, it's just from years it's fallen into slight disrepair but like it's it's very fixable we've like a gorgeous mahogany sideboard now it is mm -hmm. in storage in one of our sheds out the back but it was my nan's so that's how old it is and yeah. um, now the backing on it needs to be kind of um redone but like that's very slight in terms of like the, the it still has good bones and everything and um, but i remember me and mum talking about it and mum was like well, I don't have a place in it because it's just such dark wood and she's like it doesn't yeah. suit anything whereas I'm just like for me it would probably be too dark as well but I'm still fascinated with the fact that it has a story and like it, it's been around since before my mother was born like and I think what's interesting about dark, dark furniture is that it can actually work in a space so like it just depends on the space that you have so if you have a very small room that's quite dark bringing in dark pieces of furniture like that it wouldn't work but yeah. if you have a large open plan space where the room is quite 
like it, it's an, a big sized room those sort of rooms can take those sort of pieces and they actually quite they, they're they're quite beautiful on their in their own right you know and the fact that it has that family history is lovely that your granny was at like we used to use it and you know the, i think that's what's fascinating um yeah no no vintage furniture that there's a history to it um like, oh like as in i would say i have a few amazing pieces that i have the history behind it so like one of the uh, my uh it's a kind of orange tan Chesterfield couch. Um, oh, I love that couch. Yeah. I've seen that couch in your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, it's so popular. Everyone seems to like it. But, you know, that's about 120 years old. And it was actually from Castle and Kilkenny. So it was reupholstered in the 1920s with that orange tan leather and hasn't been touched since. And it's an absolutely perfect one. But I love that. And I love the history of it. And I love knowing where it came from. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, because we have a gorgeous um, Chesterfield um, armchair, um, but it's like in like a wine colour, like I hate the colour of it. Um, like my, sorry, my parents have a gorgeous, um, but my mum forever like kills me because when I, I think I was young, I spilled like nail varnish remover or something on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so like I'm in like the bad books. So, but it's a piece that I don't like the colour of. But it's the thing that if you were to pick up in in somewhere vintage, you can easily reupholster it and have it gorgeous. But it, it is I love the shape of them and just the like they are very kind of center piece Like they they you put it in the room to have as a statement piece. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. So you and like God forbid, like where were you storing all of this? These like I feel like very much like you're like only fools and horses. Like you, you've all these kind of things. <laughs> Del boy um, going down the the auction yeah. house there. Um, oh yeah, you should have seen how I drove some of those things home in with the boot open in the car and just like holding onto one arm, oh, <laughs> you know, ch changing gears with the other arm. You know, you're hoping you're hoping you make it. Um, but they're all the adventures that you kind of go on and I love all that um, like I was really fortunate my sister um, has has had a room that was quite large and it wasn't used so she was uh, very generous and left me store all my furniture in there for I mean several years um, yeah. like I, I bought uh, about it must be eight years ago now I bought a, a full-size grand piano from 1850s I saw um, that and I was like, I was like, oh, I wonder does he play piano? <laughs> um, I, I, I took lessons when I was a child, but I hadn't played them. I hadn't played it properly in years, but um, I, my siblings would actually be able to play the piano quite well. But um, yeah, so I bought that like five years before I actually bought, uh, built this house. Um, but I knew at the time when I bought it, I'll never forget, I turned to my brother at an auction and I just said, I'm going to buy that and I'm going to use it as my kitchen island. Um, and he, in fairness, he's very uh, creative and he just said, that's a great idea <laughs> instead of arguing with me or anything. So next thing I had, like I bought it for 500 euro, which was for what? like, a, yeah, like, like that's, that's I, incredible. Like, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, and it's a solid, it's, it's rosewood. So it's a really expensive wood. Um, it's a really well-made piano. And um, when I got it, I got it fully professionally uh, retuned and, and, and restored. And the guy that fixed it, he was like, this is actually in really, really good condition for the age of it. Um, so it's it's not concert quality playing, but it actually plays, it's in tune and everything. Yeah. Um, but I bought that five years before I had the house. And I, you know, they're the things that I suppose um, I had planned out years in advance. And, and, and then when you were talking about having like a cupboard that your mom was saying to fill the room or to buy yeah. pieces, I think she's right. You know, you won't have the money when the time comes around and you'll only spend it kind of probably not on the right things now is how I would yeah. describe it. 
And if you I, love something, you should just buy it. Like yeah. you know, I always say, sleep on it for 48 hours. And after two days, if you're still thinking about it, just buy it. Yeah, because there's a big difference. Like obviously you're always going to get the IKEA style furniture. So like don't go stocking up on that because when you move in, you'll always be able to access it. But those kind of like a grand piano for 500 euro, like when are you <laughs> ever going to come yeah. across that again? Uh, um, yeah. And have you have you attempted to play it at all since it's been brought home? Well, oh yeah, it, it plays per, it, it plays perfectly. Um, like I actually have it wired so underneath there's lights underneath it, so there's LED warm white lights underneath, so it acts as a lamp in the room. Uh, it actually yeah. is a fun, it's my functional kitchen island as well, so there's tough and glass. Um, oh, so you are you? Yeah, because that's why I was like, oh, yeah. I know you had said, I was like, I wonder does he use it? So you are using it as a kitchen island? Yeah, it's used as a kitchen island, but also it's a fully functional piano as well. Like I did very, like I didn't want to touch the integrity of the piano. So it yeah. has nothing has been touched really on the actual piano besides a couple of screws underneath to um, fit a light fitting. Um, but the, the piano is in its original state, um, but it is used as a, a kitchen island. Yeah, that's mad because I never, like I've gone to a number of kind of vintage stores or even like secondhand stores and stuff. And one of my like, because it's so funny that you're like, oh, like I must have been um, strange when I was a teenager and bringing home all of these auction items. But like one of my proudest things from when I was a teenager is I got, I really wanted like a vanity table. So like mm -hmm. where you put like makeup and stuff like that. So I, and I couldn't find anyone that like not everyone else had. Um, and mom and I went one day on like a scouring trip of um, secondhand stores and vintage stores. And I came across this gorgeous like very art decoy style um, vanity table um, in mahogany. Now I wasn't gone on the the the, the colors of it, um, mm. so but we brought it. I think it was like twenty euro. Um, yeah, man, we, yeah, and we brought it home and um, completely sanded it down, and I completely restored it, and I did it in like um, very pale colors, so like a eggshell. A kind of cream color and like a, a I think it's like duck blue or something it's like oh, a cool. powder kind of um for the drawers and then I restored the kind of gold accents on it but it is literally like my pride like it is I'm, <laughs> I was like to my mom I was like you think I'm leaving this behind when I leave I was like not a chance like I think I kind of restore it up again just because it is yeah. painted and um, do it fresh with wax but I was like you think I'm leaving this behind I was like, <laughs> but you know as in you like they're the things that you'll have forever and like you know I think I often think it's it, it's easy as you said to go into Ikea and like just buy all around you and um, but your home doesn't have any personality like as an Ikea yeah. I really like Ikea furniture I think it's, it's very well made um, it's really nicely designed but the thing about it is if you buy an Ikea lamp and if it's a popular lamp, you'll see it in every single house. You oh, yeah, like every house. So that's what I keep telling myself. I'm like, I'll have a lot of Ikea stuff, but then hopefully I'll be able to put in all of these pieces around the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's lovely as well when friends come to visit because they might say, oh, wow, look at that. That's really unusual or whatever. And you have a little bit of history behind it. So, like, you know, it's lovely to say, uh, you know, that you, you bought that uh, with your mom years yeah. ago when you were a teenager. You know, kind of, there's a nice story behind it. So it adds interest and people like hearing those stories and it's nice to tell the stories as well yeah no definitely um that's so interesting um that because you have i think you have a really nice desk as well oh yeah i'm uh yeah it's um it's a doctor's desk so i found like again i bought this at um 
secondhand furniture shop um, and I was looking for a desk and I kind of wanted something that was quite niche that would fit into a, a spare bedroom as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a little oak desk from the 1920s um, and it was 50 euro. You know, that's a, like, there's nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's really beautiful. It has a little leather top. Um, it's very simple. Uh, it has one of those pull out things for the doctor's notepad. So like, you know, it's my mouse yeah. pad on it now, which is really interesting. Yeah. So it's really handy because, you know, you can, put, you can lean on it, which is cool. Um, but like, I think the value of that, the, a lot of people don't see the value of buying secondhand furniture that's actually out there. So in the sense of like, you can really furnish your house with really top quality stuff that like, if it's lasted a hundred years and it's still solid, it's going to last another hundred years. Yeah. You know? and like and, yeah because that's what my parents say like they don't because I remember when we were buying units for the utility because my mom was like oh like there's not that many we'll just go to kind of Ikea or we'll go to somewhere else like um like that and then when we were looking around and you can see like the quality wood all my dad kept saying was they they don't make it like they used to <laughs> like there's a reason that these things like last as long yeah. as they do and you have to remember as well to make a piece of furniture like over a hundred years ago they were handmade most of those pieces like you know so it has mm. the dovetail for like finishes on the side of the drawers and stuff like that like it would have been extremely expensive to buy these pieces of furniture and make them and so they would have been expected to last a lifetime so if you were buying a desk a doctor's desk like this it would be expected to last his entire career he wouldn't have been changing it so whereas now it's it's like fast fashion it's fast design you know people yeah. keep keep updating their houses and change they're buying new chairs new, t new new tables all the time like and i find it kind of you know if you buy staple pieces and if you invest in them properly you'll have them for a lot longer yeah i feel like are you missing the auction houses now that covid has has happened you're not able yeah. to do as much scaring i find it do you know it's so funny i was talking to someone on instagram the other day who's also um someone that is very into finding bargains and finding interesting pieces um, um done deal and adverts are still there so if you have a courier that if you know a good courier they'll deliver to you and stuff like that but it's expensive um, yeah. but i do miss the, the buzz of finding something so um like it's it's very interesting i bought a safe um an antique safe a couple of months ago and um like i just i remember it took ages to arrive because the courier was really slow at delivering it but it was such a buzz when i got it if you know what yeah. i mean and that, like i can't describe it. it it's only for someone that um, I suppose for people that know what kind of bargain hunting in that sort of vintage side of things, when you find something really good and you're like, I can't believe I found this for this amount of money, you know, or something like that. So I do miss those kind of yeah. adrenaline rush, you know. Yeah, I feel like because I've actually never been to an auction, like I've been to loads of car booth sales um, yeah. I've been to loads of secondhand shops, vintage stores, but I've never been to an auction. But I feel like it kind of like one of my dad's favorite programs is Bargain Hunt. And like, <laughs> yeah. So I feel like it runs in the family because my parents, every time we go abroad, they always go to the markets. Like they like getting really kind of eclectic pieces and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, you I, have to go now when, when COVID ends. Yeah. And now I'm like, I want to go to an auction, but I'll like walk out and I'll be like, who needs a deposit for a house when you can have <laughs> a house? Um, there's actually a place in, um, that is in, uh, Castle Comer in Kilkenny and um, okay. it is um, he is called um, Absolutely Salvage I think he has a website but he used to do he only opened up like literally pre-COVID and 
I because it, it's quite close to where I live so I remember going in and just being fascinated so basically yeah. he used to do a lot of um commercial work um so for brands and stuff like that he used to do quite a lot of staging and stuff okay. um so he just has a lot of kind of um items that he has salvaged and now he's just kind of opened the store and he does all these bespoke pieces and he had like a really old style leather luggage trunk um, and he had converted it into like an open bar so like <laughs> and it, so I'd say I, I think he has a website um, but I'd say you'd like some of his stuff um, and I think they've opened a vintage store in that town as well someone was saying recently um but yeah I was walking in there and I was like to my mom I was like and I want that for my house and I want that for my, house. And my mom was like you need to get a house for, <laughs> to put all of these things in um perfect so we've kind of gone through quite a lot of stuff um like the piano and everything what would you say is your favorite if you had to pick what's your favorite piece in your house um I suppose the piano would definitely probably be up there I think there was just it had I had a vision for that for so long and yeah. to, to see it in situ now is like, that does give me that kind of like little flutter, <laughs> you know, yeah. when you walk, you're like, I can't believe that actually has, I remember it took us seven of us to lift the piano from my sister's house over, she lives very close. Um, so, but it took seven of us to lift it and God, it like, it, it's an absolute ton. And I remember just seeing it's like, we, the minute we put it on the concrete, it just rolled like, you know, you could just use move your use your fingers to roll it. It was so perfect. Um, so that was a really kind of highlight of uh, of the build and kind of yeah. I suppose, it felt it's kind of nice because because you use it for a kitchen island as well. Like when you put kitchen stuff on it or like food or anything on it, you can be like, oh my god, like this used to sit in storage. Yeah. <laughs> now it's actually a kitchen island. Um, that's so cool though. Um, and so if we kind of wrap up then, even though like I could talk about this for days, I feel like if you, whenever COVID stops, um, stops, well, whenever we go back to some semblance of normality, like I'll see you at the next auction. Like I'll be the, the crazy blonde girl who's probably buying everything. <laughs> but the thing is though, if you think of people that are doing like estate sales and stuff, like I never think of it, but most people get rid of all of that and it's all stuff that was loved by a person but obviously that person has probably passed away or they're downsizing or so so there's always always stuff to be found um so my next thing is um just do you have any advice for anyone who's considering or starting out their own self-build journey um i suppose like one thing i would say is budget for design professionals and like architects and interior designers and I think like a lot of people misunderstand the role of someone like of hiring an interior designer like remember like an interior designer's role is to listen carefully to you the client and to help mm. you translate your ideas um, and style into kind of a coherent design so it's not about like someone coming in and going, this is what I like, so you should do this. It's about them coming in and listening to you and helping you form a very coherent design for your home. So it's something like we get hired a lot for people at the, at the planning stage. And I think it's the best time to bring someone in because uh, there is a very there's a big difference between an interior designer and an architect. An architect is, is very much about like design and mm. you know, and the it, it functionality as well. An interior designer will kind of consider the functionality of living in the home 
um, and they'll see just kind of maybe a little bit more of a creative um, ideas maybe around your house. Um, and it, usually if you hire a designer or an architect at a particular stage, it'll save you money in the long run because they'll come up with the ideas that maybe you might might think of afterwards. So it might yeah. be, oh, we should have put a window in there. And if you're trying to retrofit a window into a house, it's going to cost you money, you know, whereas if it's at the initial outcome of the initial design, obviously it's built in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on a personal note, um, is absolutely worth the stress is what I would describe it. So <laughs> for anyone listening and who's in the middle of it or who's thinking about starting it, it's 100% worth it. Um, be patient. Uh, don't beat yourself up. Uh, try and enjoy it. And be creative. Like, I think stick to your guns. Like, a lot of the trades out there will say, if you come, come with something unusual, they'll be like, that's not possible. Um, but it's mostly because they've never seen it before. Um, and it's usually, like, there are solutions to it. And if it's been done in other houses, and if you've seen it on Instagram, or if you've seen it, like, and it's not something crazy, like, you know, cost-wise, um, usually there are solutions to it. Um, so remember, like, it's your house. And it's easy to kind of go, okay, instead of saying, no, I want it done this way. Um, and the sleepless nights and all the small details and all the worrying, it'll be 100% worth it. Yeah, I feel like you're you're the girl, like you're over the other side. So like, we'll <laughs> yeah. all look to you for inspiration that you can make it through without having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> oh, I was close a few times, I'm not going to lie now. <laughs> I can imagine though, like it, it's um, like one of my friends was talking about her brother um, built, he built in Wexford and she, and then shortly after um, them building, so his wife was was pregnant at the time and they managed to get in um, and and get everything sorted. Um, And she, she was like, I remember talking to her like last year about it. She was like, having a baby was 10 times easier. (laughs) he was like it was mainly predictable I knew what was happening like I she was just like I didn't have to deal with um like a a stressed out husband she was like having a baby way easier (laughs) (laughs) but do you know what it's interesting because like I think people don't realize um how much work goes into it and like even if you have a contractor who's doing everything it can come down to like it's so easy to uh like let the budget completely run amok um and like what i again i like i'm bringing back to the kind of hiring a professional or or like uh, you know when you do deal with an interior designer they will tell you what's like where to spend your money and where you should save your money a perfect example for me is like i remember dealing with a project with a couple and they were putting an absolute fortune into plug sockets so that all of the plug sockets were going to be this really expensive brushed stainless steel and they looked nice but the reality is they were then then they they were going away and buying a couch that was like five hundred quid that was kind of like very tatty. And I was think I said to them like think about when you walk into someone's house. What's the first thing you notice? It's not you're never going to say wow your plug sockets are just the most amazing plug sockets I've ever seen That's in my life. That's literally the last thing that would be on my mind. <laughs> it would be the last thing. And like people spend hundreds and thousands of euro on on stuff like that. And then they run out of money for the more important things that have the impact. So that's why I'm always like, you know, if you get a professional in and actually consider, listen to their advice, they're going to tell you, look, who is going to talk about plug sockets? They're going to talk about your couch when you want your first impression. You yeah. Know, you want that impact. Um, so, yeah, I suppose <laughs> that's all my advice. <laughs> no to the plug sockets. Yes to the yeah. couch. <laughs> um, 
Perfect. So um, maybe just to wrap up, if you let people know where they can go, basically see all the interiors of your house and um, make up all their, their dreams <laughs> of having, having a house like yours um, and where people can kind of find you and yep. where you're operating through in terms of if people want to talk to you or say employ you for, to work on a project with them. Perfect. Um, so I suppose uh, Instagram, you can find me at New Build Ireland. Um, so um, I think a lot of the, it, that's a very much a personal account. So you'll see a lot of the, my own personal journey of, from start to finish of the whole, my house journey. Um, you can find me professionally at RJ O'Brien Building Contractors. Um, so we have a website, uh, www.rjobrienbc.ie. Um, we predominantly work in the Cork area um, with interior design and stuff like that. If people are happy to work through Zoom, that's absolutely fine if you're outside the Cork area. Um, and all our different packages are on there. And you can also contact me through Instagram on DM. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. I could literally chat about this all day. <laughs> Thanks um, when are we going to an auction, David? <laughs> <laughs> I look, at the minute they open up, I'll be up to Kilkenny. <laughs> oh, stop. And I imagine Kilkenny would have some good ones, like, like you, you know got your couch out of, wasn't it Kilkenny Castle? It was, a, it was a castle. And, yeah, like it was, I bought that off Dundee, which was really interesting. Um, and the woman that sold it to me, she just had the entire history of it, which I loved. I, I love that sort of, you know, um, yeah. I, most of my house has underfloor heating. Sorry, I'm going off topic now. But, no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, has underfloor heating, but the three rads that I have that are upstairs, so they're in the bathroom upstairs and two of the bedrooms, um, they're all from Castles and Kilkenny as well, which is interesting, isn't it? Oh, wow. I'm telling um, you, I'll keep an eye out. And the minute they open, we'll hit the auction house up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Minnie and Daniel. Take care.